Welcome back to Mark's Madness Collaboration. We are back. We are collaborating again. All right. Um, we have our Ashete Shekouin friend, uh, Shigmani Tu, uh, collaborating with us from Bands of Turtle Island. And we are reading The Red Deal uh, from The Red Nation. And it's exciting. Uh, there is no Nathan again, <laughs> which is uh, how we got that fun introduction. And so, yeah, uh, we're going to kick it off. But first, we're going to get some current events. Anyway... So, like, uh, yeah, I left the tier in in between, actually, probably before last episode, now that I think about it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, for whatever reason I did, it doesn't matter. I still support them. They're great people. But, uh, you know, I'm going to also encourage you to support me more now, uh, just because I lost all financial backing. Uh, Just a good reason. Uh they might make me return this microphone, in which case oh, no. I'll need a new microphone. So uh, <laughs> if they do that, yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we're we're back on the Mark's Madness as Bands of Turtle Island. Uh, we yeah. talk about the four principles today, right? Uh, do we need to talk yes. about current events? Oh, we, oh, we do. do. Fuck. Okay. Shit, yeah. yeah. We need to issue a correction on Chile, which we we did a mm-hmm. pretty good job at editing, or whoever did. Yeah, we, well, we didn't we didn't actually say anything incorrect. There's just a clear assumption in the two episodes that we thought unfortunately sure, did not come true. We thought for sure they were going to vote yes on the mm-hmm. national constitution just because of the trend of uh, Latin America and. Uh, mm-hmm. We were wrong because turns out no matter how likely the material conditions, if you're not from there, you might not understand it to its fullest. And we didn't understand it to its fullest until after the fact, in which case I've Mm -hmm. talked with a Mapuche indigenous person and uh, talked about the failings of their plural national constitution. And much like a lot of plans involving white people and indigenous people, the white people didn't actually listen to the indigenous people. And it failed. Wow! Mm. It's almost like white Mm-mm. people need the indigenous people. It's almost like that's a necessary item in this equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the correction, sort of, there. It's not really a correction. It's just more like a... Yeah. Correcting, uh, we we corrected assumption. our assumption. Yeah. Yeah, 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 we corrected our assumption. And uh, so, hmm. uh, Puerto Rico doesn't have power. The Northeast doesn't have power. Yes. Yeah. So very specifically about that, and I suddenly lost the name of that province in in the Nova Northeast. Scotia? So no, <laughs> no, I didn't mean the Northeast. That that the uh, Canadian province. I was talking about. You said province. Oh, Nova Scotia's. Yeah, I was thinking. I I don't know what my brain was thinking. Where I didn't even pick up province. I my brain was still on on Puerto Rico. And hold on a second. Um, Colonial territory. Yeah, hold on. No, they have counties. So just and it's 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 Louisa um, or Louisa. Um, or but oh, are you going to talk about yeah. how like the emergency relief plan excluded all black communities? Yes. What the yes, fuck? Yes. 
the the hurricane tore just straight through Puerto Rico. And remember, like this was uh, this was like supposed to be you know Trump's Trump's Katrina Trump's FEMA thing was was his tossing paper towels like a fucking basketball in Puerto Rico. Um, well, now another hurricane rips through Puerto Rico with Joe Biden, and this is where we say Biden's the same as Trump. And it's of course the entire power grid was already failing. Like just before this this hurricane, it was failing. Might as well been Texas's crap. power grid. Yeah, yeah, because this this private company that Trump sold it off to, and I mean, this is just how colonialism fucking works, right? Um, it was it was subpar. It was shitty. They weren't maintaining it. They were just in there for a money grab. So the power grid already failing, and then this hurricane hits, and so nobody has anything, right? Um, and so anyway, there are several counties in. Uh, Puerto Rico, and basically to the west is where a lot of the population, the poor population lives. It's less touristy, and they're they're more you know um, African and Afro Bariquin um, in that area, and then especially right outside of of San Juan, right outside of the touristy area, um, and you want to see like clear segregation, right? Um, there's just on the north coast. There's it's either called Lu- uh, I think it's pronounced Louisa or Louisa. Um, is the county that is very, very Afro-Bariquid and very poor. And you can see the whole western section of the island where the hurricane actually hit, that is actually out of power and actually dealing with flooding, uh, excluded. The touristy areas <laughs> sorry, sorry. included. I don't mean to laugh, but it's just like... Yeah, the, it's just it so... It reminds me of the fucking... Pink Sloan shit, right? Where it's like... Yeah, yeah. Oh, w- wouldn't the... People on the coast to be the best to help at this current moment, <laughs> right? Yeah, but they're uh, <laughs> black. Which it, you you missed the signal I did, but I just rubbed the skin on my forearm, which is a joke yeah. from Tom Segura, which is like one of fucking like Joe Rogan's friends, right? Oh, jeez. He talks about this. Japanese director he worked with that uh, didn't like a Filipino stagehand or some shit. And so he just rubbed his arm saying skin color. You know? And it's like, Tom Segura goes, oh! That makes racism okay. But he's a white Latino talking to a Japanese man about a Filipino. Yeah. Um, if you can't see the racial distinctions there, you need to look into mm. all three of those groups. That's <laughs> um, a little on the nose. Yeah. Uh, you know, yep. col- colonists working together there, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, due to their skin color, very clearly they are being denied mm-hmm. access to adequate aid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that, that the U.S. has to do this – I mean, the fact that Puerto Rico is very explicitly a U.S. colony, and that's why, like, they, they can't have their own central um, government attack because they don't have one. They're not allowed to have one, right? To the point where people think them becoming a state, becoming further co- uh, colonized would be an upgrade because they so obviously have no autonomy whatsoever. Right. And well, then the aid that's sent there – oh, go ahead. Yes, sorry. I, would, I was going to say it's similar to reservations. Okay, so I was actually talking to one of my friends who has a deep knowledge of Puerto Rico. Going like Cuba was where his family's from, well, their family is from, and uh, I, I was talking to them, and um, they, they just I was explaining the BIA system to them. 
And they went, mm-hmm. holy shit, at least our economic council gives us a little bit of sovereignty. And I went, oh, jeez. You're telling me that reservations are more colonized than Puerto Rico? Jesus Christ. Yes. And I went, holy shit. You know, and just sort of like bashed my head into the wall because I'm like, so many people think like the Puerto Rico is like the perfect exemplar of, you know, set of the colonial relations in America. Oh yeah, because it's an obvious. It's one, an obvious yeah, one. Yeah, not. It, but it it's so much worse for fourth world peoples in this country. You know. Jeez. Oh my god! Holy shit! I I, I mean, mm-hmm. like, just talking about this shit pisses me off because you know, Cuba's gonna offer doctors, and you mm-hmm. know, and they're gonna get rejected. They're gonna get rejected exactly, and it's like, oh. is is Obama gonna be the only president to have? decent I, I, I'm not even going to say good decent yeah. relations with Cuba fuck yeah it's it's just so it's so fucking bad and, and so on the nose all the time um, so so anyway I mean point is obviously you know anytime natural disaster hits you got to be careful with any aid that you're sending because if they go through these big charities they can be distributed a lot of ways um, well, last time in Puerto it, Rico had an emergency, right? The mm-hmm. ruling class—I forget um, what they call their dude, right? But um, the governor or whatever—they—I think they just call it the mayor of Puerto Rico or something because they have so little power. Like it's almost like a city mayor. Whatever he is, had a wife that was in charge of all the fucking aid and shit, and uh, it got put in a warehouse and forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Rotted. Mm-hmm. It rotted mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Ricardo Rosseo is the uh, governor of Puerto Rico, not not mayor. Again, there's still incredibly small amount of autonomy. Um, but I had that I had that wrong. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is corrupt as fuck. I mean, they call in that our country president a president. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. Titles don't mean shit. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Um, and then the last thing, the last, um, and this is going to be a pretty major one to get into. So in Iran, uh, there was a woman named Masha Amini, and uh, she was arrested for a dress code violation. Now, you have to understand that women's rights are complex in Iran. They are not good. If you are supporting the national liberation of a reactionary country, you need to understand that there are reactionary aspects to that state that you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have to support on an individual level, and you can criticize, but it is unnecessary to your analysis in presenting to imperial nations. There you go. That's, I mean, just simple, cut and dry, right? It's that easy. Um, they're a ton. Yeah. It's not a color revolution. Sorry. I'm just pissed. <laughs> the conversations are stupid. This woman was beat to death by the police. Mm-hmm. It's the police. Mm-hmm. You know, A cab. A cab. Yeah. 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 Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Um, and then, of course, of course, within that conversation, because because we can be outraged, we do we do actually have to cons- be concerned without being because it is completely not a color revolution. We do still have to be concerned with Western coverage that ignores like this is essentially 
like a Sandra Bland style police and brutality. And we have to be aware that there might be co-option towards mm-hmm. a color revolution, but to remove autonomy yes. from the women mm. of Iran is patronizing, mm. patriarchal yeah. bullshit. Okay. Yeah, recentering recentering the conversation on U.S. imperialism, recentering the conversation on U.S. police brutality, recentering the conversation on the fact that American troops just shot a 15-year-old girl named uh, Zanab Assam Majed Al-Khazali, and she, that is getting no no coverage whatsoever. We, we, that's, we can, that's right by Abu Ghraib where that happened. We can say, oh, hey, yeah, Iran might be shooting people, but uh, you know the U.S. calls and uh, uh, Israel call for war with Iran constantly as backers of Hezbollah. And yeah. you can see that they also say that Venezuela, you know, does is a state backer mm-hmm. of uh, fucking terrorism and so on and so forth. Throughout history, I mean, it, it, it's an old concept. It's an old fucking script. And that's exactly why people are calling it color revolution. And it, it's mm-hmm. something we need to be aware of. But we also need to be observant that people in Iran can honestly protest too. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's it's a way a lot of countries have won right. Like we look back at at East Germany and 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 being like a, you know a pioneer or a, a great pillar of of gay rights when it was first formed it wasn't that protests won that, right? Well, Even countries that are subject to imperialism or subject to western um um sabotage can still liberate people within them. So this to me feels more like looking at at a complex situation such as, you know, uh, the Tiananmen Square in 1989, right? It'll be completely mischaracterized and attempted to be used by the West, but but it is an in-country battle. It's a real in-country battle. Tiananmen Square is a perfect example for this because I wouldn't say it's being mischaracterized. It's being... Okay, fine. It's being... um, Dramatized... I guess there you go. There's truth in it, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to actually analyze the truth and be aware of where the propaganda is seeping its claws and where it's yes. um, obfuscating the truth versus uh, you know uh, what pieces of truth you can actually draw from it, right? So like, yeah, um, for example, uh, with you know any color revolution. You know, you have very similar aspects in that there's an organic movement that's co-opted by the CIA. And that is certainly being attempted, sure. Okay, you see Mm -hmm. monarchists in Iran advocating for the Shah now. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at the Shah versus pre-Shah, it's not... It's not a progressive actual movement, and so you actually have a, 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 a you know a material conversation to have there. In that, mm-hmm. if a liberal is supporting the Shah, they're being eaten up by propaganda. If a liberal is supporting uh, a woman's movement there, they're being a little more materially realistic, even if they're not acknowledging that a color revolution is possible. But yeah, it's it's Reed much like. 
Yeah, I mean, it's much like when when people go, oh, Putin bad, and it's like, oh yeah, sure, okay, but then you know they'll support Nalvani or they'll they'll support the Azov Battalion, and it's like, okay, Putin's not worse than those fascists. I mean, you know, let's let's get real here, right? And so um, like that's been a really big conversation, the Ukraine conversation, right? In mm-hmm. a similar regard, like I've had a friend write an eighty-three page fucking essay. Uh, explaining the failures of the U.S. left in analyzing Ukraine. And a big part of it is that there isn't a dialectical position. We are taking team sports positions. We're taking a side. We're saying this side is right, this side is wrong, etc. Which, yes, um, if the devil and George W. Bush were fighting against each other, I would side with the devil. However, <laughs> see, that's a trick question because George W. Bush is the devil. Yeah, right, right. That's what I was going to say. From a material respe- perspective, there is no devil. The only devil yeah. we've seen is George Bush, is Hitler, etc. You know, it's these fascistic yeah. leaders, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so no reason to play this in an idealist fashion. Exactly. Like that. So addressing it yeah. from materialism removes the devil question, right? I saw mm. somebody post earlier today uh, a memory, uh, M-E-M-R-I, memory, I'm going to call it, um, mm-hmm. Middle Eastern news source or whatever. Um, okay, yeah. Say- saying what I just said, you know, if the devil and George Bush were facing each other, I'd support the devil because George Bush is the greater Satan, you know. Um, yeah. That doesn't mean we should support a reactionary <laughs> analysis of anti-imperialism. Anti-imperialism mm-hmm. is much more uh, uh, refined, I guess I would say, uh, in that uh, we don't have to resort to terms like globalism, you know, <laughs> to describe imperial monopoly. You know, like, yeah. uh, we have words for these already, and the only reason we people invented the term like globalism that they didn't do the reading and that they're anti-Semites trying to code their language. You know, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. believe that just because you say globalist, you're an anti-Semite, but you need to recognize as the person seeing, saying the word globalist that you are participating in anti-Semitic tropes. That's all it yeah. is. That's all it is. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. And completely agree there. And just to round off the whole why I brought up um, you know, other than other than the fact that when a 15-year-old girl is killed by U.S. troops, that we should recognize that. Um, but the only reason I brought up, you know, Iraq as an example, and I brought up, you know, police brutality um, as an example, in the U.S. as an example, is because, like, what what are you offering them that's better? And you have to keep that in perspective. Like, you know, you, you want the U.S. out, or, you, or what are you offering them? You're offering them mostly more like Iraq, which is certainly not better for women than Iran um, and then at best it would be like in the US well in the US look at police brutality look at the growing population of women's prisons look at what do we have 28 states where abortion is is illegal and like you go to Iran it's legal up to like 30 weeks I want to say yeah even um, the fundamental you know, <laughs> Islamists can say yeah. abortion is okay yeah it's almost yeah. like the Bible I mean, says something about this, and it says you should support <laughs> the woman. Anyway, you should read your own books. That's 
that's an event story. <laughs> um, do we have uh, any more that's all, uh, current events? That's all I got for current events. Um, I don't think I have any more as far as indigenous news is concerned. Um, besides, like, you know, if you're in... If you're near BC, Canada, go support anti-pipeline protests there. It's the most effective mm-hmm. thing you can do against imperialism. Shut down their fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're we're uh, we are twenty minutes in, and we are talking about the four principles listed within the Red Deal. Um, mm-hmm. So what follows is a plan of collective climate action based on four principles that we developed after extensive conversation, dialogue, and feedback from indigenous and non-indigenous community members, comrades, and relatives, and fellow travelers. The first Red Deal Coalition meeting was held June 19, 2019 in the Larry Katsus uh, Freedom Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, since then, the platform has been revised and adopted by social movements, politicians, and organizations like the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, like I've mentioned before, the reason why the DSA is brought up is supposed to be a hiding-your-power-level sort of um, attempt of approaching connection, you know, and saying that even the DSA is supporting this super radical approach, which to me, it's really the most milquetoast position we as Marxists can offer. You know, this is supposed to be a broaching point. Don't, don't burn the planet down. That's, that's the most (laughs) incredibly radical thing that we're getting at here. Well, yeah, people are like land back means, reversed colonialism it means you're gonna deport all white people no no it just means please for the love of god don't kill us all (laughs) please for the love of god listen to us for once in your goddamn lives Mm. that's what it means it has nothing to do with reverse colonialism or genocide it's for the love of god listen to us for once yes so this book is an extension of these original principles and a reflection of the changing material conditions we confront and how these conditions shape and inspire the vision we set forth in the original document. The Red Deal is a living document in the sense that it should not be taken as gospel, nor as an idealistic or a utopian program for change. Uh, Marxism-Leninism, this is my words, uh, Marxism-Leninism sure. is one of the unspoken cornerstones of this piece when we hear permanent builders. It is an attempt to offer a better alternative to Trotsky's permanent revolution, which although correct, quote-unquote, is misguided and harms the project uh, with ultra-leftism, essentially. Um, This is to say, as uh, continuing on with the text, as conditions shift, so must we. We must be both optimistic and action-oriented, permanent builders. A great deal has changed since we come together in the spring of 2019 to begin our initial discussions about what later become, would become the Red Deal. The ideas, principles, and plans of action contained within this book have therefore been forged through movement, struggle, and direct action. 
Some of them have already been tested and revised, awaiting new tests and new potential revisions of those who are moved to take it up within their own struggles and movements. Uh, in where are we? Uh, while there is an inherent flexibility built into the Red Deal, we remain steadfast in our, the following four methods and principles of organizing that anchor the original pamphlet. We encourage you to act upon what you find the Red Deal by what you find in the Red Deal by applying these principles to your local, tribal, or regional situation. And in my words, instead of just uh, revolutionaries, we must be builders. And me- when we build, it must be for all. The world we want to build begins in one state, but our revolution must work together to end mass suffering. And we are already much further than one state. As we navigate the power of the imperialists, we will only grow stronger and we will be millions. And uh, so with that, we're starting on the four principles. Uh, First one is what creates crisis cannot solve it. Seems pretty self-fulfilling, but let's dig in. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Seems obvious, but my God, you cannot get that through some people's heads. Well, I mean, like you read a lot of Marxist stuff, and you're like, "Well, that was a bit obvious, wasn't it?" <laughs> That's true. Hindsight's twenty twenty. The, one, right? the wonderful thing about theory is it doesn't teach you something you don't know. It just makes you go, "Duh, fuck, <laughs> are we stupid, Jesus." <laughs> Uh, divestment was a popular strategy during the No Dakota Access Pipeline uprisings in 2016. Water protectors called no upon the dapple, masses to div- Just so we can say that yeah. easier. Oh, okay, no dapple. Um, water protectors called upon the masses to divest from the financial institutions, subsidizing the pipeline. The Red Deal continues this call for divestment from fossil fuel industries, but we go one step further. We draw from black abolitionist traditions to call for divestment from carceral institutions like police, prisons, the military, and border imperialism in addition to divestment from fossil fuels. We on both of these respective podcasts certainly support any and all abolitionism in the United States of the police and police industrial complex. Well, it's not even just looking at the United States. You can look at Walter Rodney and his relation to the abolition movement. So Mm -hmm. Angela Davis and stuff who wrote the foreword for decolonial Marxism, the abolition movement is rooted in decolonial theory and is supposed to be that alternative from the colonial construct of imprisonment um, because colonial uh, decolonial structures just tended to not. We didn't Absolutely. have jails. We, you know, like fuck. <laughs> no, that's a very new. That that's a really new invention. I mean, not that Europe didn't have fucking dungeons and death sentences and and shit like that, but that's a fairly new invention. Angela Davis goes into that too, in, in um, um, our prisons obsolete. It, that was to try to make those kind of European uh, punitive systems more humane, and it's not really done that. Um, partly because 
that's just a, a horrible you know path to try to take yourself down of, of attempted reform and partially because of the roots in in you know um, in genocide of indigenous people in slave catching and beating down labor movements makes it kind but, of impossible to or form with something the FBI good investigating mm-hmm. the murder of indigenous women and finding settlers mm-hmm. innocent even though they murdered them for their land rights mm-hmm. that's cool uh, where were we? Uh, we're at divestment is only half the equation. Jesus, we only got a paragraph in. <laughs> <laughs> what What will we do with the resources that will become available once we divest from these institutions and practices? As of 2015, military spending accounted for upwards of 54% of all discretionary spending at the federal level. Proposed discretionary spending with the national security in 2020 comes in at $750 billion. We talked about, too, how incredibly recent and contemporary this book is, and yet just in the last two years, that number seems so small, because aren't they over 800 yep. now? I, think I was going to say, mm-hmm. this isn't accurate. Yeah, this it's was already out of date. Jesus Christ. Spending, and we <laughs> finally got the real numbers, and it's stupid. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. With $718 billion slated specifically for the U.S. military. In a given year, the U.S. provides $3.8 billion in military aid to Israel. $182 billion is spent each year on cops and prisons. These figures don't even include revenues from the fossil fuel industry. Compare this to the $68 billion allocated for education in 2016 and the $186 billion allocated for mental health services in 2014. $66 billion of discretionary funding is spent on health care each year, with only $5.4 billion allocated to the IHS Indian Health Service. The branch of the Department of Health and Human Services, responsible for providing direct medical and public health services to members of federally recognized tribes. I didn't even realize there was an entire separate division of Department of Health. You didn't They've always got to separate everything. No. No, okay, so no. we fought for that. No, no, no. So that's the thing. Okay. We fought for that because it was so common that we do get expired medicine. Mm. It would cause sterilization and there was a there was a literal plan written, written out mm-hmm. for our sterilization. You know, so it's like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, the anti-vax movement, which is predominantly white middle class people, are co-opting mm-hmm. the harm and, uh, you know, travesties that have affected Indian communities to say all vaccines are bad, when in reality, what's bad is um, holding on to vaccines just in case. People can't get their second dose. Um, Mm -hmm. That leads to expired vaccines that go directly to the Navajo, Ojibwe, and uh, many Ochete Shakuin nations. Uh, That's just a start. And it's, you know, Detroit has had many uh, expired vaccines already with the COVID situation. Um, Mm -hmm. People don't realize what the reality of the anti-vax conspiracy theory is. And it's because white supremacists have chosen to take it up in arms to obfuscate the actual harm it does to people of color. Because as long as it continues to do harm to people of color more than white people, well, then white supremacists get their way. Yep. 
Yep. That's, I mean, that's still the way in COVID denialism, right? Because it's still, it's always going to be, you know, predominantly women, predominantly poor people, predominantly people of color um, that are going to be in service industries. And those are the ones most affected by COVID, right? Which is why you have, um, you know, a segregationist, an anti-busting segregationist out there, you know, telling us COVID is over. It is not fucking over, folks. There are thousands, thousands of deaths every week. There are kids dying of strokes. Kids don't die of strokes. Kids are dying of strokes because it is a vascular disease that has long-term ramifications on your entire vascular system. I'm 23 years old, and I've had a mini heart attack now. Mm-hmm. A mini heart attack being like heart palpitations that mimicked a heart attack. But that's, mm-hmm. that's a heart attack. Yeah. And it's because of the stress, the poor diet mm-hmm. we're provided for cheap. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of reasons behind it. But a lot of it, it does it is due to the stressors of material reality in which we live. And I really wish I could chalk up my stress and everything up to mental disorders and mental illness. But unfortunately, I have professionals that I'm radicalizing rather than fucking (laughs) telling me, you're just too crazy. (laughs) So when you radicalize your psychologist, you you might be on to how fucked things are. And at least yeah. knowing that you're not insane is a little bit of a comfort in our society. Yep. That's where I'm at. I don't know where our listeners are at, but uh, something to think about. Hmm. Continue. Okay. <laughs> that <was> fun. <laughs> like, that's just so no, gruesome where we're at. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's tough. Um, Despite treaty and federal obligations to provide adequate health care, Native people, especially those living in urban locations, have the worst health care in the nation. Almost half of Americans cannot afford basic procedures, and pharmaceutical corporations control these already deficient public services through lobbying. The U.S. government is threatening to further cut spending on education, health care, food stamps, and other crucial health and human services in order to inflate military spending, bail out banks, and subsidize fossil fuel corporations. Okay. Meanwhile... I was going to just interrupt here. We currently spend $4.1 trillion as a country on health care. Okay. That's collectively. Whether federal or private spending. $4.1 trillion. Yeah, like... You're you're out of pocket shit or or the government stuff put together. Yep, Medicare for all works out to be about the same. And meanwhile, former senior advisors to Obama, like Don mm-hmm. uh, Dan Pfeiffer, uh, heavily invest in corporations like GoFundMe, who half of the site's fe- fundraisers are related to healthcare. Mm-hmm. Also, this trillion is not only money freed by this. Uh, you wouldn't only have a trillion dollars freed f- by just this milk toast strategy, right? Of like Bernie Sanders, yeah. you know, Medicare for all. You know, you wouldn't just have that much a trillion dollars freed up. No, no, no. By this strategy, research funds would be no longer spent on military research guised as public. You know, expenditures. Yeah. 
couple this with redistribution of wealth, reforming pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies, creating jobs with a federal jobs guarantee, and freeing more wealth within America, that's a pretty solid plan for a milk toast demsoge. You know what yeah. I mean? And instead of be, uh, instead of bailing out banks or seizing and nationalizing their wealth, uh, there's you know these examples where we can gain nominal. I mean, this is this is nominal gains in where you know we could ask for so much more. I'm asking for the bare fucking minimum. We gave multiple trillions of dollars to Wall Street during the pandemic. I mean, trillion dollars a day. Mm-hmm. Stupid amounts well, of money. And you could see, I mean, that, that the pandemic is such, and, and healthcare, that's such an obvious way people don't even chip deeper into how this shit and what's stopping you because people immediately think of like the pharmaceutical giants right mm-hmm. like Purdue Pharma and all them they sometimes probably don't even think of like the big hospital giants like you know Barnes Jewish and Mercy Dude. and all them I mean yeah these, uh, fucking terrible yeah these huge universities they yeah. own so much of southern hospitals they own mm-hmm. Michigan hospitals mind you you know they're not allocated to just the fucking south they're the one of the next largest employers within michigan next to the Mm -hmm. university of michigan most states the largest employer is walmart the fact that university of michigan beats at walmart is impressive (laughs) yeah yeah, um, but Joel's at that. But like, like you said, you know, you've got um, a, a high-ranking executive uh, who is invested in GoFundMe, right? GoFundMe makes money. It's all. It's these not even little- high-ranking. No, we're not talking high-ranking. We're talking yep. some motherfuckers in the Obama administration who had some minor say in healthcare for all. Okay, who started Pod Save America, the podcast that's like the most milk toast liberal podcast. That's popular. Mm. Pod save fucking America. These motherfuckers are the people heavily invested in GoFundMe and telling you universal health care just isn't feasible. <laughs> they're invested. So they're invested. They're invested in GoFundMe and doing their own propaganda. Fuck. Uh, yep. Yep. Um, and so that just reminds you, like, all the little tent, and that's where we talk about industrial complexes, right? We talk about the prison industrial complex, the military industrial complex. It's not just prisons. It's not just the military. It's everyone connected, right? And that's, and there's so many money just slushing around that you don't get to touch because it goes to these corrupt motherfuckers. Exactly. Mm hmm. Uh, meanwhile, schools, nursing homes, domestic violence shelters, homeless shelters, soup kitchens, art programs, museums, clinics, public bus lines, community farms, and local businesses are having to raise money through GoFundMe campaigns and bake sales to remain in operation. I don't know if that counts as a bizarro just read the fucking book no, or no, not. No, 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 no. I, I, I put it there. <laughs> oh, okay. You saw that coming up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, it, it was supposed this to was be your a notes. bizarro. Okay. You know, situation. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Imagine if the U.S. military had to hold a bake sale to keep its doors open while life-giving and sustaining programs were fully funded and never in fear of disappearing. 
Imagine if we had over a trillion dollars to invest in healthcare for everyone, to increase teachers' wages so they can provide quality free education to everyone, to compare roads and provide safe and accessible public transportations for workers, to provide safe and comfortable homes for elders, and to fund large-scale language revitalization programs in every indigenous nation on the continent. You know what they said about how will you fund public colleges? Mm-hmm. The teachers just take a willing salary to teach because some people want to do their jobs to better society. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you don't need to charge everybody that wants a better education $200,000. You do if you go to Harvard. So that so that you could pay a damn football coach twenty million dollars or whatever. Yeah, oh, and let's. Oh my God! Don't even get me started on public fucking sports. <laughs> Jesus, the Packers are the only good team in that regard. You know what I mean? Like the fact <laughs> yeah. that so many stadiums are funded by the city's taxes, mm-hmm. and none of them give back besides the Packers. In in St. Louis here, in St. Louis here, who's your team? Um, Oh, the, they got they got left for L.A. for another publicly funded stadium, and then we're still paying off. We're still it was the Rams. Okay, we're yeah. still paying off the dome because of the Rams, I and they want a so. settlement to only like pay out half of it. After they left, we went. Oh well, fuck. We have no football team. Let's get a soccer team. And so they're bringing the soccer team. They built this whole new stadium in the area. Um, I believe. Well, I've, actually, I've seen Amazon things. I haven't seen a stadium go up, so I'm not sure where a the stadium's soccer going. Soccer team. A soccer team they're building, and they're building a whole new stadium for it. And in the middle of the stadium, I can't remember if it was the plumbing or I think it was the electricity. They fucked up the electricity, and they have to like, like they're they're like going to be eight months behind and not be able to open with the team in the stadium because they fucked it up. Yeah, yep, that's what our tax dollars go to. I mean, eight months. The season's going to be over. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's all fucked up, and and this is all this is all after there's been a long controversy because in St. Louis this is a very very segregated city, and one of the ways it does it it's it's one of the only two places besides like Baltimore where the city is not in the county. So if the city funds something, that doesn't come out of county money, and so what happens is a bunch of county people have these little like businesses in the city and they want to like tax the people that live in the city for like these fucking stadiums and shit oh it's always been a long thing and so like assholes from Ladue can drive in 20 minutes to to see their damn sports teams while you know poor like actual you know city proper people like have to pay the fucking taxes on it it's it's horrible well it's the same Mm -hmm. thing in like most major cities right like, oh uh, yeah, I mean the segregation's everywhere. I'm just saying that's a unique aspect. No, 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 no. I think no, Baltimore. Uh, no, no. I, I mean that the city mm-hmm. people are paying for the suburban oh. to come in. Yes. that's normal. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Green Bay is different in that Green Bay is not a big enough city to have suburbs. No, no. But Detroit, yeah. that's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Chicago, mm-hmm. that's pretty normal. Minneapolis, mm-hmm. that's pretty normal. I don't know about outside of the Midwest region, but as far as the Midwest is concerned, it's pretty fucking normal for the poor-ass motherfuckers in the city to be supporting yeah. suburban fanfare. You know? Like, even restaurants oh. are catered to the motherfuckers. In Green Bay, uh, during a Green Bay Packers game, 
uh, people turn their lawns into parking lots. They'll sell you a spot for twenty bucks, twenty five bucks a pop. You know, sometimes they'll order you, will, uh, offer you a, a beer, which is pretty cool. You know, but like, yeah. it's pretty obvious the exploitation that's occurring there. You know, like mm-hmm. the Green Bay Packers don't even have to pay for their own parking spots. Yeah, even though they 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 pay for everything themselves because it's a city owned team, you know. Yeah, they're still exploiting the city itself and the working class people themselves extensively mm-hmm. to adhere to the tourist aspect, which is pretty common Absolutely. in most of rural America. Absolutely. <sighs> um. Anyway. So I want to I want to get back. I just missed it an entire. We just read an entire paragraph where I got a nice visual of like Tom Cotton have to fucking beg and sell lemonade while the rest of us had health care. Uh, so let's get back into this book. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate Tom Cotton. Who's Tom Cotton? Uh, he was he was a, a troop, and there's a very famous photo of him. Um, Riding in a dump truck full of fucking gold they stole from Iraq, and now he's a Republican. I want to say senator. Is that one of those BMW um, fucking uh, dump trucks? Because the U.S. military no. brought in BMW fucking dump trucks. I had a friend named BJ really who lost his legs in Iraq, and fucking uh, he's like the only time I've ever ridden in a BMW, or maybe it was Mercedes Benz. <laughs> But it's like one of those level of cars. And he, he yeah. goes, that's the only time I've ever ridden one, is he rid, rode in the back of a dump truck after losing his legs. Oh, geez. Um, no, Tom Cotton is, I'm sorry, he is a rep. So he is in Congress, not the Senate. Okay. Um, but he's a he's a Republican congressman from Arkansas um, and former troop and one of the more one of the more right wing douchebags in the already right wing enough fucking Republican Party. Um, you know, real Tea Party type guy. Oh, um, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, when he was a troop, he he very famously like um, you know helped raid Iraq's gold. So probably huge piece of shit. Steal Hobby Lobby's Gilgamesh tablet. <laughs> probably <laughs> fucking did it. Probably did it himself. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> had little weird Indiana Jones fantasies and forgot the whole hating Nazis part. There was a whole boulder so. <laughs> that came out of the ceiling and everything. <laughs> But back to the reading. Uh, While ludicrous under our current system, imagine the world we can build through divestment. With the resources we gain from divesting from the U.S. military alone, we could end child hunger, homelessness, and fund renewable energy on a global scale tomorrow. Literally, there is not, as the ruling class wants us to believe, a scarcity of resources. There are plenty of resources to fund these programs and restore dignity to our relatives. We must simply wrest them from the greedy clutches of the ruling class and redistribute them to the people. And so patriotic socialists who are anti-land back on the basis that it's a Malthusian myth aren't... Engaging with Landback. Because mm-hmm. Landback is a 500-year-old discussion that started with the Taino and Columbus. So, perhaps there's a lot of history there to study and a lot of philosophy behind it that aligns very neatly with materialism. Almost as if 
indigenous socialists are expressing the immortal science of Marxism-Leninism as I understand it. Um, mm. Maybe not as you understand it, but I see it as more than a joke than a lot of white leftists. And trust me, I've asked a lot of white leftists what they think about the term immortal science. It's a joke to y'all. Those are the most advanced mm. Marxists I've ever asked that I know personally. And they all said the same thing. So, allow me to offer a different philosophical interpretation so you might better understand where Lambeck is coming from from an indigenous perspective. Uh, anyway, so, number two of the four principles is change must come from below and to the left. Mm-hmm. anti <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anti-protest laws I was going to say prostate laws oh jeez <laughs> I had to restart on that one anti-protest laws have been considered in dozens of states in the wake of Black Lives Matter and hashtag no DAPL or no DAPL at the same time politicians continue to withdraw from social justice demands for healthcare, housing and education in the GND choosing to focus on reforms limited to climate change only. It is important to remember that the GND Green New Deal, if you, you know, didn't catch that, was possible only because its main proponent, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, became politicized by the no, hashtag no dapple movement uh, uprising. Indigenous people are and have always been at the forefront of the struggle for climate change. We will not back down from the Green New Deal's demands for a dignified life, nor will we back down from centering the leadership of indigenous people in this fight. In fact, we must go further. We must throw the full weight of people power behind these demands for a dignified life. People power is the organized force of the masses, a movement to reclaim our humanity and rifle relations with the earth. People power will not only topple empire, but it will build a new world. Uh, hold on, sorry. There's a lot of there's a lot of see-through notes. People power will not only topple an empire, but build a new world in the ashes of the world where many worlds fit. Uh, and if you don't know, that's a reference to the Zapatistas. Um, so. Uh, my words, as Marxists, we already we are already well aware of the shortcomings of social democratics and liber- liberals. Uh, however, this book is meant to appeal to uh, a wide audience, uh, and will come from uh, how uh, is ap- meant to appeal to a wide audience. However, the argument is that. Uh, of the vanguard and will come from a colonized people. Right, so what I'm saying there is that um, this is an attempt to lead a position that directs all of the working class at once rather than just one that's appealing to a specific demographic. So it's very complex in the issues it's trying to tackle in a short moment 
I guess. Um, but it, it, this isn't a movement uh, to follow the people, but to lead, educate, and empower the people. Um, which is a important distinction between vanguardism and tailism. A vanguard cannot tail the working class. You cannot hope to tail the labor movement in hopes that it will lead the left into a more radical position that you're hoping for, okay? You as a cadre that is putting forth their effort and discussion into this debate, if you will, um, need to be thinking about how your words affect working class people more broadly than just as a cadre and more as a vanguard. Until we have parties actually thinking of themselves as a vanguard and participating in working class discussions, we will not have a vanguard. PSL does not participate. PSL on a national level, I should say, does not participate in local level cadre discussions. And that is where many of their failings come. TRN does not participate in a local cadre discussion. And that is where many of their failings come from. It's it's the same mistakes that we keep seeing. And as principled Marxists, we can either dedicate our time to these parties and try to change their conversation, or we can start our own cadre and advance the discussion in a collective effort. Either way, it needs to happen at both sectors. It cannot happen in just one. Um, I mean, in the way it could happen in just one, that if you're educating your specific cadre, um, you might contribute to a wider cadre or vanguard's education. Yeah. But that's more um, superstructural than it is directed. You know? <laughs> in, in my opinion, or at least in the way it plays out here in America, right? Sure. Um, and so uh, I recommend people listen to and read the words of Fred Hampton, who said, Power anywhere there is people. Power anywhere there is people. Let me give you the example of teaching people. Basically, the way we learn is observation and participation. You know, a lot of us ground and joke ourselves into believing that the masses have uh, I wish I had better handwriting just squint real hard I don't know I'm going to say have paths (laughs) but that's not true and even if they did it wouldn't make a difference because with some uh, with some things you have to learn by seeing it or either participating in it. And you know yourself that there are people walking around your community today that have all types of degrees that should be at this meeting but are not here, Right? Because you can have as many degrees as a thermometer. 
if you don't have any practice, they can't walk across the street and chew gum at the same time. This was said in 1969, and I think is the standard Marx Madness uh, disclaimer said in the middle of the episode, right? Yeah. Well, in the middle of the, it's at the end. Well, no, but I'm saying right now it's being discussed in the middle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're saying, we're saying it early. it's yeah, also the at the presents. end, but uh, yeah. <laughs> this is the end of the episode. I was going to say, huh? this is the end of the episode. Uh, but he recounts... Yeah, we'll, we'll, finish, we'll finish section two and then we'll wrap it up. But in this same speech, he recounts on Newton and Steele, oh, not Steele, Seal, put up a stop sign after being put around the ringer, uh, which the left is unaware of how indigenous actions have influenced the movement, uh, not only here, but worldwide. You know, uh, Palestinians are indigenous people. You know, like, that's a huge influence. Um, but the Black Panther Party at, at the occupation of the BIA in 1972 is a huge example of um, indigenous people influencing the Black Panthers. Uh, you have the BP... Um, Black Panther Party influence on prisoners, leading to um, Dubois and um, oh, oh I, not not Dubois, no, sorry, uh, Dennis Banks and okay. uh, uh, Clyde Bellacore organizing, uh, like they, they directly influenced the American Indian movement. The Black Panther Party did. Um, and Alcatraz galvanized the left nationally. Uh, this is in 1969. Um, and and Wounded Knee 73 was even more monumental in that respect of galvanizing the left. Uh, so much so that like the Sandinistas and a bunch of worldwide leftist movements, like even the Soviet Union, had protests in support of the American Indian movement. Uh, and even today, in countries like Bolivia, you see uh, the UN Declaration of the Rights of Independent uh, Rights and Independence of Indigenous People uh, playing a huge role in how we discuss indigeneity to this day, uh, and. Uh, it, 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 it's uh, really saying something about the leadership of indigenous people in the movement and that uh, we have a very wide reach, right? Um, but this is all to say that there can be no rich people without poor people. The rich depend on the poor, but the poor don't need the rich. We only need each other. This is the power of the masses. Although indigenous people live in a capitalist society, we continue to practice people power. Pablo communities feed friends and relatives on many ceremonial occasions throughout the year. The original purpose of this was to pry surplus from those who held more wealth and redistribute it amongst those who didn't, uh, so that neither a poor class nor a ruling class could form. Everyone's material needs were met. There was no starvation, no homelessness, no alienation. Everyone was a relative, and everyone had relatives. Capitalism destroyed this world. We must destroy capitalism to bring it back. That was a beggar. That's the best place to end, for sure. 
<laughs> Just gonna lob off that last paragraph because that one was too good. Well, right. I mean, I feel like that's a better place to end and give. I, you know, yeah, I can't. I, that's true because I I can't follow that up with anything but just like awe of how great it was. It yeah. was fantastic. So we'll jump back in the next episode, starting with that paragraph. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a banger to say the least. <laughs> a quotable yes. passage. <laughs> yes. Um. So so. Oh, okay. I was gonna. Say yeah. This oh no, Mark- you go ahead. I didn't know. It. This is Marcus Madness and Bands of Turtle Island. I'm leading the discussion mm-hmm. now, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, this has been a wonderful collaboration where we uh, read the Red Deal and try to discuss Marxist perspectives uh, from a material position uh, of theory that involves a very important disclaimer that comes at the end of every episode. I I guess I'll shoot. Um, Should, so do we shoot now or do we do plugs first? I think we do plugs first. Oh, shit. Just the way you said that, I didn't know if you wanted Fuck. me to shoot. No, do your plugs. Fuck. Do your plugs. Okay, okay, okay. So before we do that, because I'm not Nathan and David, um, yeah. I'm just trying to steal their jobs is all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the migrant worker that's coming to take the white man's job. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's such a terrible joke. But, uh... <laughs> Um, I, I'm from Bands of Turtle Island, obviously. I have a little less plugs now that I'm no longer part of the Red Nation. Not to say that you shouldn't support them, considering this is their work. Um, we're just finishing it out because we weren't expecting the things to happen the way they happened. But they happen the way they do, so we roll with the punches. And I'm going to do my best to represent the Red Nation respectfully. Uh, in a way that they still bestowed and gave me permission to do because they don't care about this series. Um, so anyway, uh, you can uh, support me at Bands of Turtle Island, uh, which is my podcast. So go like look it up on Apple or leave a review or whatever. What the fuck you have to do to make things popular these days. Um, there's also a GoFundMe called Awoju. Uh, no, 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 no. Maybe. Is it a Woju? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, it's a Woju. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of Owamni, which is this uh, indigenous restaurant. But so a Woju is like a, a, gro- like a, a gardening, farming, you know, um, which uh, basically everything that goes into that GoFundMe, it's going to go into uh, building a permaculture forest that uh, my neighbors... And I have four city lots um, right now that can be dedicated to gardening, um, which is a really huge amount of space. Um, So, you know, help us out, feed our community, and, uh, you know, develop seed libraries and community gardens yourself, because that's an excellent project if you don't know where to begin by yourself. uh also we have the patreon which supports all of the podcasting um i've lost all of my technical support so uh now like obviously like if my mic gets taken away i need a new mic and i need help raising funds for that so please come join the patreon it's really important 
Um, I have a child, so the patron also pays for the kids' diapers and stuff like that. And they just get expensive. Like, I have reusables, and I use them as much as I can. But the question is, is how often do does the water bill exceed a diaper bill? Right? Yeah. Huh. So, I, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about that as a non-parent listener, but it's it sucks. Diapers suck. Um, oh, di- diapers are horrendous. Yeah, like, just we, incredibly we breastfeed, expensive. So, formula's not really an issue. It's diapers that are the issue. And, like, winter clothes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks like it's going to be an earlier winter this year, so that uh, GoFundMe and Patreon really helps. Or I have a cash app at Zicados to Can. Uh, and you can follow me at, at Bands Island on Twitter to see um, what other people or organizations might be in need. That's my primary sharing. I've only recently started shitposting and arguing on Twitter. And a lot of people have appreciated that. Um, so I'm doing a good job. Even if the Red Nation yelled at me, <laughs> you know, uh, it you know you need Indigenous people fighting this fight. Otherwise, white people won't know how to. That's yeah. pretty much where I'm at, and a lot of the Indigenous people all started fighting back at the same time and realizing the same need. Um, and so it's a real concentrated effort, and you know we're trying our best. But support us, you know, and if you don't know who to support. Ask me, because I know plenty of people who need your support more than uh, whatever podcast you're giving $5 a month to. You know what I mean? And you can give yeah. $5 a month to my podcast, but the podcasting's not my main goal. It's more for your benefit. So pay me more, and I'll do more. <laughs> Sorry. It takes a lot of time. You know, I don't know sure. how to explain that. But theoretically, I only get paid for 10 hours a month worth of work, in my opinion. $20 an hour is not enough. But $20 yeah. an hour is a reasonable amount to be asking for as a communist. And I would say I arguably get paid like $5 an hour if we're being kind to the amount of work I do in a month. <laughs> sure. So I'm just saying there's plenty of people that need your help that are doing awesome work besides myself. I just try to follow those people and promote them. Um, I just happen to have one of the larger platforms out of all these people, right? And I lost that platform by choice. So I, I just, you know, hope that Principal Marxists will understand why a Principal Marxist might have left that platform and is trying on their own to facilitate the same uh, influence and example, I guess. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so I guess that if that's enough self-aggrandizing, uh, what's the <laughs> what's the? <laughs> um, I think I think I was supposed to plug the Mark's Manda stuff first before we went to yours, so that yours stayed later and went in people's heads, but just. Off the best of my memory, I'm going to go uh, that you can find the Mark's Madness side of this collaboration um, on Twitter at Mark's Madness Pod. Um, DMs are open. Um, the Discord link is in the bio. Nathan hangs out there. Um, Shigmani too pops in there too, and then yeah, I'll come actually, like I'm on command. Out there a lot more often. Yeah, because like I post cool. a lot of food stuff there. Nice, nice. I'm making a TikTok good. for food and gardening as well as a YouTube channel. So keep your eye out for that, folks, and support the nice. Patreon. 
to help fund that. Nice, nice. Um, and then, of course, you can email us, uh, marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Um, and then with that, it's the disclaimer. Uh, obviously, uh, when me and the very absent Nathan, I should give him shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we need to shit on him as much as possible. Yeah, yeah all right. Uh, <laughs> Nathan is never around. God damn it, Nathan. This is twice now. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, he, we did actually miss a week. We thought we were never going to miss a week till the end of time. We missed a um, so, you know how much of an honor it is to be a part of this, the the plain hooky era of Mark Spanis? Because that's my reputation in high school is I played hooky nice. constantly. So I'm like, nice. yes. See, you're rubbing off on us already. You're rubbing off on us I'm a good influence. Uh, this is decolonization right. and practice missing a week. This is what we call right. Indian time. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else can say that one. If you're white, don't repeat that, okay? That's racist, okay? <laughs> but anyway, the uh the Marx Madness half of this started because Nathan came to me and was wanting to read Capital and obviously theory, history are things you want to read with someone else. You want to make sure you're doing the research, get the context, you want to make sure you I get another perspective. Just this pure, like idealist version of history. <laughs> I think I'm the most correct person pure. ever to exist, actually. Pure, pure. <laughs> pure as the snow falls from the clouds. Oh, but anyway, um, but, uh, so, you know, you want to read it with other people. You want to get the context. You want to get the, the background. You want to get other people's perspectives. Um, and so Nathan came up to me and said, hey, let's read this. You've read it once. You're a good candidate for it. Let's read it together. And we did. And we thought, two people is a small group. And so we recorded it. And we decided to share it as a podcast. And lo and behold, there's tons of you with us now. And ever since that Jesus day. Wherever <laughs> three or more are gathered in my name, that is when the Lord is truly there. <laughs> you need three or more. That's why I'm here. We, we need, that's, that's why we got Yeah, that's why we brought this you. This is a Christian so, fundamentalist yeah. podcast, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my God. We're really Catholic here. <laughs> Super Catholic. I am. I did. I did have grown up Catholic, and I'm an agnostic. That's not necessarily not Catholic compared to other Christianity. So that's that's really dig deep right there. We should make more Catholic jokes about me when I'm not around. Good luck with that, guys. I've thrown you the the, the ball. Run with it. Uh, <laughs> I know all my Catholic jokes are really like crude and like uh, involving genocide or like pedophilia. Oh no! Oh no! I don't feel comfortable making those jokes about you. I'm going to be honest, David. I don't think you're I, quite that Catholic. <laughs> I, I, I'm honored to not be that Catholic. <laughs> Only Italians anyway. and the Spanish. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, since the beginning, what we've always hoped is you guys are out in your parties, in your cadres, in your organizing groups, um, and you're reading this along with us, and you're doing it in the political education groups or the reading groups there, and we can be another voice, another presence in that um, discussion. Uh, let's say that's not happening, and you're reading it on your own because you know your cadre or party or whatever group is reading something shorter 
no. <laughs> or they suck. Uh, no, <laughs> but they're reading something more applicable to something uh, they're working on. And then hopefully we can be that reading group. We can give you all of those advantages, those other perspectives, that context, things like that. And let's say that's not happening and you're either doing it like a book like this where we're reading it more word for word like an enhanced ebook, or a book we summarize more. Whatever we can do to make these works more accessible to you because we want these works out there guiding your actions. Because when these works turn into revolutionary action, that's a phenomenon called praxis. Praxis, of course, can't exist without theory. That's kind of definitional. And praxis theory is useless. theory ain't shit. Sorry, that's just mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and theory without praxis um, is useless. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen. And then this is when Nathan goes, amen, as always. Speaking of our Christian fundamentalism. No, okay. I was about to ask you, why do you guys do... Since Nathan's not here and there's a little opportunity to ask this question right why do you all give a disclaimer at the end of every episode i i don't know it just kind of organically happened i was saying it and then i said it again it's not and we were even doing it every other episode for a while and then nathan was like no you got it you got to do it he just kept putting me on the spot well i I think he just likes putting me on the spot it really hammers it into people's heads but i'm like Mm -hmm. i kind of got it <laughs> yeah, like I really yeah. think it depends on the listener. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but it's like a like I don't know. I think I've only not listened to neo colonialism, and I think mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of Black Reconstruction. I don't know if it was, it was probably one of those two works where it started. Yeah, no, that's and what I'm saying. Was... So I'm like, this is new to me. And somebody yeah. I was having a conversation with from England was like. Why do they do a disclaimer at the end of every episode? They also want a picture of you two. And I'm like, I don't they think want it's... a picture of us. Yeah, I was like, I don't think it's my place to post that picture. <laughs> I'll send you one of me, but not them. And they they said that's exactly how I pictured Nathan looked. And I went, I'm a little darker than Nathan. Come on, <laughs> shit, I ain't that pale. Fuck. <laughs> Y'all glow in the dark. I'm fucking at least a few shades. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but yeah, no. So like, that's just one of those things that I'm like, I need to, I need to ask them, but I haven't. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's one of the books. It, I just I kind of spouted off something, and that's why it's slightly different. It's not like scripted or anything. I just started saying it because no, it was but important. It always ends in uh, what did you end it with this time? Uh, oh, they go, go hand, hand in hand. hand they're hand. tied at the head. Yeah, yeah, it always ends that's, in that, and that's why. That's I'm actually right. become the routine. Like I really just that that felt better to say, and that just helps me remember to finish it. No, so, for sure, yeah. it's really good rhetorically. It's just one of those yeah. things that listeners, I guess, have asked about, and I think it's important for y'all to discuss it. Uh, yeah, and I'm the only anyone, one who has that voice here. <laughs> yeah, anyone, anyone who's not not been in the book where that came about, and I can't remember if it was neocolonialism or Black Reconstruction, but it was not been in the book where it's been about. It was kind of spontaneous. Um, it was something we said passionately in the middle of an episode. And and it was a much broader, like a five I mean, minute discussion. I feel like black reconstruction is the probably probably fit that, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but it was something we said like because that took two years too. Yeah, um, that was but a long one. it was That's why I'm not, I'm a not lot sure. of things happened. We we started getting like main characters. We had two time Daytona 500 champion Jeff Davis. That was a that was a hilarious one. Um, it was a weird book because it was so long. The things fuck happened. Did you just say to me? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> no, we made Davis what. We, we we made a, a running gag uh, again out of a spontaneous joke uh, with Jefferson Davis. It was it was wild. Oh, I can't um, wait for that. Ah, shit. <laughs> okay. Well, so I've avoided Nkrumah a lot because he doesn't become a Marxist until his end of times, much mm-hmm. like Dubois. And yeah. uh, I think it's an excellent companion piece uh, in that regard. But uh, yeah, like the the very fact that Nkrumah's revolution fails because of his failure to acknowledge class relations, I think, really hinders the analysis of <laughs> neocolonialism itself, and is why Cabral and Fanon and Rodney represent such a important distinction in that Pan-African history. Yeah, no, that that's good, and we did actually go with uh, Nkrumah partly because we had done. Um, you know, imperialism, and partly because we had just uh, read, you know, Du Bois and and done the back and 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 Nkrumah and Du Bois, especially at the end of their lives, um, were very important to each other, very close. You know, really. Um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, du Bois actually uh, died in. Oh um, man, I totally did the Ghana. thing, didn't I? I called him Du Bois instead of Du Bois. It's okay. No, my literally. We, no, we check did, this out. We took we took two episodes to figure out the no, 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 pronunciation. My grandma's maiden name is Du Bois, and they used to oh, own nice. the New York Slave Exchange before oh, selling it off to Wall, the would be Wall Street developers. So, like. My white half probably owned Du Bois. Jesus, that's so fucked up to think about from my perspective yeah. half the time. But like, I'm, oh, I always say Du Bois because of that reason, and then I'm like, ah, shit, you know, like that's <laughs> extra colonial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, no, we were. I, I, it was one of those two books. I just, I said it. I was really passionate i was like you know you gotta get out there you gotta organize this doesn't mean anything about this um because we'd been hammering that for a few episodes and i just it just i got riled up and so then i've said it at the end to emphasize it and then i said it at the next episode to emphasize it again and then like two episodes after that nathan was like do that disclaimer thing again or something and i did it and then we were doing it every other episode and we started calling it a disclaimer and then he just made it every episode i think he just like put me on the spot yeah, okay. I I'm down for that kind of development. Yep. I enjoy it. Yep. Yep. It was organic. It was spontaneous and now it's a thing. So um There you go. Uh well I don't know what you want me to call you on the podcast itself, but your question has been answered. You're welcome. There we go. Pay me twenty dollars now. I'm not. I'm poor. But with that, we do. We do. We're really bad at ending conversations because Nathan's not here. But we do got to end this. So with that, um, my name's Nate. Or my name's David. God, I almost call myself Nathan because I was so confused about him not being here. My name's Nathan <laughs> Shringmani too. We're all Nathans now. We're all Nathans. We've done it. We've taken over. We're Nathan uh, Conrad. That's our new name. It's like Spartacus. There we go. <laughs> 
with that, we will see y'all next week. Bye. Hoksha. Hoksha.